Okay, so I'm making up for lost time. I get to preach twice in the same you know month. So it's uh, it's exciting though. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, um, I know it's not also nice for those guys to be able to get away. Um, but uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we went to Peru, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Peru in a little bit later in the message. Um, but first, I want to say thank you to to you guys and leadership team and admin team for allowing us to go. Um, it was just a great experience to be able to see what Kids Alive International is doing there in Peru, and um, we're excited. We're like 90% sure that this is what we're going to, you know, venture out and do as a church. Um, but we want to figure out all the details before we present, you know, the final plan to you guys of ways that we're going to be involved. And I'm going to share a little bit of those here a little bit later in the message. Um, but today, if you haven't already noticed the fishing pole and mission nets on the stage, today I want to talk about casting our nets. And I, I really wanted to look in the uh, book of Matthew in chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse 18. We're going to see there, we see Jesus calling the first disciples. And um, I'll just get there real fast here. And as we read this, we, we see their trade and what they've been doing. Probably what they were raised to do is to fish. And, and here in Matthew 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, we read this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So as I was studying for this, I, I kind of bounced around different chapters. Like, what did Jesus do? Who did he call? How did he call them? Who were these people that he called? You know, and that's probably the biggest question I ended up being. Who were they? What, what, what attracted Jesus to them? And you know, the funny thing is, it wasn't who they were. It wasn't that they were men of wealth. It wasn't that they were men who were known in the community. They didn't have a great social standing. I mean, you know, like a politician or, or a celebrity or a superstar. They were not poor. They were getting by. They're they doing well with their trade. And they were just simple working people. You know, I think a lot of times when we look through the, through the whole Bible, we see this constantly, that God used ordinary or unordinary means or people to do extraordinary things. And we see this here when he calls the first disciples and, and the rest as well. I like what um, Socrates said. If you guys have seen the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you call them Socrates. You should call him Socrates. I keep thinking that in my head when I see his name. But So forgive me if I say Socrates. Darn Hollywood, you know. Um, but I loved what he said. He said, once there came to Socrates a very ordinary man called Skinnies. That's the best way I can pronounce his name. I am a poor man, said Skinnies. I have nothing else, but I give you myself. Do you not see, said Socrates, that you are giving me the most precious thing of all? See, that's all God has asked of us. That's all he asked of the disciples. Leave what you have and come follow me. All I need is you. I don't need anything that comes with you, your social standing, your wealth, any of that stuff, your degree, your job. I just need you. And that's the biggest gift that I can have. 
And so we see the, the disciples, you know, they do. The sons of Zebedee, when you, when you read that, I mean, their father's there in the boat with them. They're men in the nets, and Jesus says, come follow me. And it's like, hey, see you, Dad. We're taking off. We're following this man. You know, we can get into that a little bit later in another, another teaching series about why they did. Jesus was a known, probably known man to them. There was, some of them may have been the followers of John the Baptist, but they were just ordinary guys, and they left their profession to follow Jesus. I love what um, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I preached on a sermon about pride. And the line was, you know, pride paints a self-portrait, but humility hands God the brush. And this is why God loves us to be just who we are. Because it's through us that his work is done, not our work. And Paul reminds us of that. I've always loved that line in verse, or that scripture there in verse 27. But God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Time and time again, he does that throughout the scriptures. Everybody thinks they have the advantage, but God continues to amaze them with, with, the, with the ordinary, with the simple. So today I want to just challenge you to be thinking that we've all been called to cast our nets for Jesus. You know, we went to Peru to check out an organization and to see how they run, but really the bottom line comes down to we want to help them by casting our net there and helping them to reach those people, those children and those Peruvian people um, for Christ. And so what I, why I have these on the stage is I, I, as I'm reading the scriptures, I'm seeing the disciples or the fishermen, I was going like, what kind of fishing did they do? We, had, we see nets labeled, and, and throughout the scriptures, we, th- we see three types of fishing. First, we see what would probably be custom to us here in Illinois, right? We see the good old fishing pole, right? In Matthew 17, through 20, uh, verse 27 there, we see um, Jesus telling Peter to go get a fishing pole, go throw it in the water, and the first fish that you catch... Inside its mouth is going to be a coin to pay the temple tax that we need, to, we need to pay. Now, how many times have you guys gone out fishing and caught a fish that had money in its mouth? <laughs> Anytime? Anyone? Anyone? No? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So not only do we see Peter using his trade of what he knew from birth, but we also see a miracle. Jesus didn't want to offend the, the temple there at that, that moment, that time, and so he provided means for them to pay that tax. The second type of fishing we see is um, what they call a dragnet. Now, this is, this is a very small-scale dragnet, you know, um, probably for minnows or bait. Probably the best example for us to see is uh, the deadliest catch on TV. You watch that? You know, and they haul these big nets in between one boat or two boats, and, and they just catch a slew of fish. The disciples did the same thing. They would drop a net, and it would be between two boats, might be 20 feet deep, and they'll take that out there, and what they do is they kind of take it and they circle the fish in, and then they pull the net, all the, all the ends of the net, and they pull it into shore, 
and then they sort the fish there. In uh, Matthew 13, we read um, the scripture there. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. As you continue to read on that, Jesus talks about how that's what the angels are going to do when, they, when, when the end times come, when Jesus returns, and the angels will separate the good fish from the bad fish, those who know Christ, who love Christ, and those who don't know Christ. Then the third net we find is the cast net. Now, I was going to try and cast this, and I was thinking like, you know, I could try to catch some people. But you don't want to get hit by these things. These are heavy. And it's a, quite a skill. It's quite a skill to learn how to throw these things. So this is just a three and a half foot net. Um, the disciples would have used probably a net between 20 to 25 feet in diameter. And um, this is the net that we see Jesus calling Peter and the disciples from when they're out there on the boats. This is the type of net they used. So I was curious, how do you throw it? What's it look like when you throw it? So I went on YouTube, best place to go for anything you want to learn, right? Go to YouTube, and I found a clip of a guy doing it, and I want you to watch it, and you can see this net in action. But this is a 12-foot net that he's using. Now that's what I call fishing. <laughs> so I've never been the fisherman in the family. I've been the golfer, but my brother has. You know, he knows all the tricks of the trade. Pastor Dan loves to fish. Um, I like what Chip said. He said, that's the way to do it, right there. Um, but, but you see, it's very effective. But there's a lot of skill in throwing the nets. And there's a lot of YouTube videos that you can see of guys teaching you how to do it different ways. I probably won't even try it, but we'll see. Although my dad's little pond, we could catch some minnows back there, Dad. You know, back there, some bait fish. And that's what a lot of times they uh, use these nets for is to catch bait fish, to catch bigger fish. But that guy, he took those to the beach. He had his friend with the grill fired up, and they were ready to eat them. I mean, no fish were tortured. They were eaten. <laughs> Make sure I say that for all you PETA people. So, so. So, it's just a reminder, though, that seeing that, you know, this is the example that, that Jesus uses to, to tell the disciples, I want you to be fishers of men. Now, we don't catch them and eat men. We don't do that. No. We, we want to catch them that, and tell them about the love that Christ has given us to share that love with them. And so, again, we've all been called to cast our nets for Jesus. So, my, my commission today was really to kind of tell you about Peru, but I really wanted to share a little bit bigger picture than just Peru. And I wanted to start off with just letting you know, how are we casting our net as a church? As a church at Great Oaks, how are we invested as a church in casting our nets? And some of the things I came up with that I know are happening and they're doing well, cross-training that I mentioned earlier. 
as a way that every summer, you know, this will be the 11th year that we've had cross training. Last year we had 190 campers. 21 of those kids came to know Christ. We cast our net in that area, and Dan and his team does a great job, and through that we've seen fruit. That Kids have been able to come to Christ. And you know what? If we can get those kids, there's a good chance we can get their families as well. Think of Camp of Champions. Tomorrow, Camp of Champions starts here. It's not something we do as a church, but we host them here. And every day, my kids are a part of that, every day they get to sit in Kidstown over there and they get to learn about Jesus every day. And there's kids that don't know him. There's families that don't know Christ. That They get to experience that love from the counselors and the word of God on a daily basis. Think about the snack pack program that Debbie runs. They use the facilities here to pack those bags and pray over those bags that kids can be fed. That's a way to reach those children, those, those families. The community bash. I know a lot of times it's just a fun event, but I know as a church, we do that because we want you to invite your friends with you so that maybe you can have a conversation. Maybe you have, get the opportunity to pray for them. Maybe you get the opportunity to invite them to church or maybe tell them about Jesus in a deeper way. It's all about creating an environment so that can happen, so that you can invite them, your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. The Baskin, Basque Initiative. You know, Kendra and Nate are hosting, are the leaders this year, and over the years we've had families and students that have come, and the connections that have been made there, and the opportunities that our host families have had to go over and to be with their families and get to know them. It's a, you know, in my opinion, those are more one-on-one relationships. They're more like a fishing pole. You know, we get to develop that relationship over time and pray for that family. And maybe one day, they'll get to know Jesus in a real and true way. Think about Pastor Chris and the student missions trips that they've taken. They've gone to Honduras and Guatemala in the past. This year, the junior high group's going to Kalamazoo up, up in Michigan, what, what the camp does. And it's just a way for kids to get out of their environment and to serve and to connect with each other and to share the love of Christ. And then, of course, the trip to Peru. And, um, you know, the, probably the biggest thing at Peru is they, they spend a lot of their time their focus on kids. Peru's poverty rate is astronomical. Over 50% of the population is unemployed. Over 570,000 kids are orphans that roam the streets there. There are 10 and 11-year-old kids having babies because of just the way the society operates. And in parts that we were in, you didn't see it as bad, and in other parts we were in, you saw it more so. But we're casting our net there. You guys have already provided, when we went down, we took $2,500 with us. Um, We took $1,000 to Mike Fiji and his family, and they were able to use that. And we got some pictures. Um, they were able to use that for some new grass in their backyard there. And you can see in the way back, it was all desert. When we were there, it was just pretty much all desert. So Lima is a coastal desert. There's hardly any greenery anywhere in the city. Um, and so green, anything green is a pleasure to have. And his kids, they were playing in the dirt, and... Um, they have a little bathing thing. They're not there. They're not sure how to use that yet. They're trying to fix fix that in the bottom corner here, um, like a little wading pool or something. Um, but having the grass was a huge blessing to them for the kids to be able to go out and play and roll around in it. And then we're, they're also getting a new refrigerator because theirs is kind of the last leg 
And that's a gift we gave to them. And then we gave $1,500 to the Kids Alive ministry. And right after we left in Pucallpa, one of their transformers blew up. And they were able to get a new transformer to provide power to Pucallpa there, their campground there. And they thought it was going to cost the whole amount. But they got it at a, a really good price. And now two more kids are now funded fully for the next year to be in that program. Two new kids that weren't there now are able to go to that campground and be able to be cared for, to be fed, to be clothed, and to be shared the love of Christ with them. And who knows what's going to happen and how God uses that. So I've brought some other pictures I want to show you. Here's the, the care center. This is just outside of Lima. And this is one of the two main ways of reaching the, the kids there and the families there in Peru. So inside the care center, everything in Lima, when I went to Honduras, it's the same way. Everything is walled. So imagine your house with an 8 or foot or 10 foot brick wall all the way around it. Okay? So every house, every structure that is of some value is protected in that regard. And some of you guys have maybe been to places that are similar to that, like that. Um, but inside, I was amazed. I was like, I was kind of expecting 10 roofs and pallet walls, right? That's what I was expecting. And driving to the care center, you see that. It's funny. You know, in America, the higher up in the mountain you go, usually the richer you are, right? Here in, in Lima and Pacalpa, the higher up the mountain, the poorer you are because the farther you are away from water. Water drives most everything in those communities. But inside the care center, you, they have up to fourth grade here. You can go to the next picture, Landon. And um, here's Pastor Nan talking to some of the kids. Thank God for, for Matt being with us because he, he could speak Spanish fluently and he was popular with everybody because he could speak it. We're all just standing around like, sure, no bueno. I mean, you know, I mean, el baño. I mean, it's a, no, no, I mean, thank, 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 we're so thankful that Matt went with us to the trip because he was able to interpret interpret for us and, and to provide communication because a lot of times it was you know pointing and smiling or, or doing stuff like that and uh, so here's some of the kids in the classroom um, one of the teachers and the older older kids that's the third graders I believe and then um, I think there's one more this is all the kids lining up um, for the moms to pick them up the care center provides um, affordable daycare and it's not free um, you know like I think most of us will learn here in the United States if you provide it for free, it's taken advantage of. So the parents have to provide some income um, to help their kids and get their kids into this care center. And over the years, they've built up their attendance. And the nice thing is it provides them an inroad with those parents. And now they teach classes. They teach sewing. They teach um, computer classes. They teach all kinds of different skill sets to the mothers and to the fathers so they can help them survive and and um, you know, provide for their family, while well as well providing for opportunities for them to connect with them and to maybe one day lead them to Jesus. And then also all the teachers and all of the staff that are there in the care center, um, they're all, they've all come to know Christ, either through the ministry or through churches in the area, and they're there to share that love with, with them as well. Now this is um, the orphanage. So they call them house families, for us, it would be equivalent to foster families. Um, but one difference, they all live in the same location. So this is three different houses there, and then 
um, perpendicular to it is another row of houses. And so the host families, are, they apply for the program. They're um, you know, taken through the process, or Mike Fiji and his family and the crew there, and then they become adoptive parents to these kids. And a lot of them are two, three, four, five years old, and they'll, they'll um, be with those kids as long as possible. You know, the team wants them to be there throughout their um, school years until they graduate. Once they graduate, then they're out of the program, and they have to be on their own. And uh, it was neat. We were able to be there, and one of the students that had graduated from the program, he'd come back, and they had celebrated his birthday. And it was just neat to see that relationship that they had built. They do say there's, some, there's still some tough things they have to deal with. One of their host families um, is pregnant, uh, and one of the foster families is pregnant, and she's on bed rest. So they had to step out of the program. And some of the kids, because they're raised in such horrible environments before they get to the care center, um, they have a lot of trust issues, a lot of, a lot of hurt, and a lot of things that they haven't been able to get past and don't know how to express you know, as kids. And so those are some of the problems they have as that, fa- that foster family has left. It's been difficult for those kids to make a transition to a new family. And so those are things that you can pray about, helping those kids, just that God would make their mind and their heart and their emotions, that he would heal them of those things in the past. And then um, we, it was nice. We had to go to dinner one night, and we got to each eat, eat with different families. I had some of the hottest peppers in my life, and I'll never do that again because I'm not a hot guy anyways. So I just had like a pencil eraser top, and I was like, like, felt like a cartoon with steam coming out of my ear, all that stuff. And they don't have milk, so I couldn't, like, douse it with milk. So I was like, I just got to deal with this. So they could tell the one guy was laughing at me because I was all red. And he was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Glad I can be laughed at your expense. So that's good. Um, it's all good. I got called sprinkles at man camp, so I'm used to it. So... Uh, <laughs> But it was cool because every Wednesday night, it's pretty much their youth group. And, and so a lot of the boys that you see playing the guitars in the background there, um, they've all grown up in the program. They've all learned, um, f- they've all learned um, from the guy in the previous picture. He's talking about how to play guitar. And they were all leading, and they were doing songs that we would, we'd recognize, but I can't sing them in Spanish, you know. And, but they knew them, and they were singing out, and they were praising God. And that was cool to be a part of and see that happening there in, in those family homes. And um, they do, like, little games, and I was like, this is just a mini youth group. It was really cool. And then we went to Pacalpa, and in Pacalpa, now this is the jungle, you know. This is probably what we were most, not afraid of, but like, all right, what's this going to be like? You know, is this going to be like the river monster guy, or is this going to be like... You know, bear grill us out in the woods. So, is this what we're going to be like? No, it wasn't anything like that. Um, the roads were bumpy, but other than that, uh, when we get to the campground, it was it was beautiful. And and I, and I apologize. I we took so many pictures and video. I've only got through a quarter of it so far, um, and so I, we're going to get more out there for you guys to see. But this is one of the boats we took, and they call them Pekka Pekkas because that's what they sound like. Down the river, they go, pecka, 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 pecka. And that's what they call them, you know? What better name to call them that? And this was a boat we all took um, that took us over to the, the, jung- the jungle zoo where we got to hold an anaconda snake. You know, I was kind of holding it, like, <laughs> touching it uh, a little bit. Um, 
And then this is some of the, um, this is actually the team home right here, um, the view from outside the team home that we stayed in the, two, the night we were there. And they just finished the lower level. Um, so we, were, we got to break it in and try it out. And they asked us, what did you guys think? Was it good? Had two showers and two bathrooms. And then you can fit uh, eight on the main floor. And then they're in the process there of building the second floor to where they'll be able to host 16 people, 16 people as a team there on the site and as opposed to having to house you off-site. And so um, if we get the chance in the future to go down there, this would be a place in the jungle that we would stay. And it's cool because it's right there. And um, to be a part of the action, to see the kids at the care center and, uh, and to connect with the, the, the missionary families there. And then here's a soccer field. This is right outside the campground. Um, and the military there uses it, uh, you know, a semi-pro soccer team, like very semi-pro soccer team uses it. You're like going, really? They use that field? They do. And then here's some kids that we got to eat lunch with. Um, every day they provide lunch. Rice is always in every meal. You know, on my ideal protein diet, I'm not supposed to eat rice. So I ate as much as I could. can't say no, right? When you're on a missions trip, you can't say no because they're making this for you. So we ate as much as we could. And these kids were fun. They, were, they kept poking us and like trying to see who, try to trick us to see who it was. And they did a, they did a, a fun job. And the, the workers there, they were just really uh, good to know. And everybody's so gracious and kind. And, and just they're excited to be there and be a part of that. They liked, they liked you taking pictures, too. They would sit there for, like, a minute or two and just smile. And they, and they would just, like, hope you kept doing it. And, like, and they want to see it, and then they said, again, again, you know. I was like, no problem, we can do that. So I have a lot of pictures of the same faces. Uh, now, here's a story. They got her when she was two years old. And when they, when they um, picked her up, they said that she would just scream terror. They don't know what happened to her, but they do believe that there's emotional and physical things that were done to her at two, two years old. It took them a year, year and a half to kind of break her of that. And when we saw her, you would never know it. But Mike was telling us about how hard it was for that host family for that year, year and a half, to just love on her. And no matter what she did, to just be patient with her and to let her know that they're not going to leave her and they're not going to hurt her. They're there to help her. And what we saw was a girl who was completely changed. She was sitting on Matt's lap. He was reading a book to her. And she was just a happy just a beautiful girl. And to think that people could do that to a two-year-old. But it was common in their culture. A lot of times, just, just to get by, to make things work, parents will not sell their kids off like we, we hear in other parts of the world with sex trafficking and stuff, but they'll allow their kids to be taken by an individual because he promises a better life. And so the work they're doing to bring these kids in and, and to clothe them and feed them and do those things is so important and to share that love of God with them. 
She was a blessing to see. This is similar to what a lot of the homes look like. Some of them were this big. In this home, there was four different families that lived in that home just by itself. Um, but a lot of times, the homes were no bigger than the stage right here. You know, four walls and uh, ten roofs. Maybe running water, maybe power, maybe not. Just depending on where they're at. And um, the streets there in Pucallpa, except for the main streets in the city, um, were all dirt roads. And a few times I got to sit in the back with my camera. And, oh, man, you want to talk about pain. Just probably, you know, all over time. So it was all kinds of fun. But that's, that's, that's a minimal complaint compared to what some of these people have to endure on a regular basis. So how are we looking to be involved in, in Peru? How are we looking to cast our net there? Well, one, we've already been there to help um, Mike and his team. That's one way we've, we've, we're helping out there. One way that I think we could get involved right now as a church is child sponsorships. You can go to their website, kidsalive.org, and they have 32 kids right now that need sponsorship. It's just like World Vision or Compassion. You sponsor a kid for $39, $40 a month or, or, on, a, or on a quarterly basis or a yearly basis. I think that's one thing that we could all do at our, if we felt called to do that um, to help them support those kids. Some things that we're looking to do in the future as a church, once we get through all the details, the short-term missions trips, you know, for youth, families, and adults. And when it comes to kids' ages, we're not sure yet about what ages are the best to go. We're still kind of talking about that. I think it really comes down to the maturity of the kids um, because it's about eight, nine hours on a plane and about, you know, probably about seven, eight hours waiting in an airport um, just to get there. Not too bad, but it's a long day, especially for kids. If you have kids that are picky eaters like I do, I don't know how they would eat through the week. I mean, my little Camden, he doesn't look like he eats at all anyway, so he might be okay, you know? <laughs> Give him a cookie and he's fine. But um, those are some things that we're talking about and discussing with the kids and what ages we feel will be best for that. And then special projects. You know, you saw them in that one picture building the second, second story to that team home. Um, they have other homes and other ways they like to provide more housing. You know, the more housing and the more um, host families that they can provide, um, the more kids they can reach. One thing that stood out to us a lot was, Mike, we also asked a question, well, could families in America adopt those kids? You could do it through maybe another organization, but through Kids Alive, No. Mike, Mike said, our interest is not raising North American kids. We want to raise Peruvian kids that become Peruvian, Peruvian missionaries to reach the state of Peru. And that's their goal. And I, we really appreciated that because so many times I think we come in and we want to be the answer. When really the answer is we can be the help, we can be the hands, we can be the feet to support them. But we want to let them do that ministry and support that ministry there and love on those kids and in turn have those kids love on others as they accept Christ. So once again, we've all been called to cast our nets for Jesus. And I think here's some ways that we can do that here. Here's some ways that we can cast our net for Jesus um, right now. One, we can pray confidently. 1 John 5.14 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now take note of that. According to His will, He hears us. Not according to what we want, but what God's will is. 
And then 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I included that because that's God's will. He wants everyone, everyone that is walking this earth to come to know him. Second, we can serve willingly. In Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we've had that as our, as our purpose at Great Oaks, love God and love people. That's what it's all about, praying for them, serving them, giving sacrificially. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44, we read there about the story of the poor widow and how the wealthy, they drop all their coins, what they, what they can, what they feel is the biggest gift they can give, and here comes this widow with two coins, and it's all she has to her name, and she drops them in. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live in, live on. We need to give sacrificially. We need to go intentionally. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you know, I question whether or not to put the fifth one on there, but I think the way, the way that our world continues to head, this, one day this might be a reality for us that one day we may have to die willingly for our faith. That one day somebody may say, deny Christ or die. Jesus did that for us. And if we say that we're followers of him, and that's a commitment we've made, that is a sacrifice we need to be able to make. Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We've all been called to cast our nets for Jesus. To end with, I want to, as I was studying this, I, you know, as you continue to read about the disciples, you get to read about all the things they got to experience with Jesus. They got to experience him healing the sick, raising the dead, doing the miraculous. And then he sends them out, and they get to do that themselves. And then after he dies and he, and he raises, raises from the dead, we start, we start to see Jesus appearing and making himself known to the disciples. But what I found was funny that in John 21, we see the disciples not quite sure what to do. And so they go back to fishing. They go back to what they know. And as you read that chapter, John 21, they're out there fishing. They keep taking their net and they keep casting it on the same side of the boat all night long. And in the morning, somebody sees somebody at the shoreline. We know it's Jesus. And he says, hey, friends, why don't you try and throw your, your net, cast your net on the other side of the boat? And there on the other side of the boat, they cast it. And then they reel in a catch that's too heavy to lift into the boat. We see Peter get excited and he jumps out of the boat and he runs to meet Jesus. 
My prayer for us as a church is that let's keep casting our nets. Because it may take time. It may be like the disciples. They may be out there all night casting, casting, casting. Nothing's coming back in. Nothing's coming back in. But it's that one moment. It's that one trip. It's that one event. It's that one conversation that we have that Jesus says, hey, I want you to cast your net. I want you to tell this person about Jesus. I want you to say, I want to pray for you. It's that one opportunity that we get to cast that net that Jesus provides a miracle and he gives us a catch that's beyond comparison. I think the ways that we do it now are awesome. And as we look to Peru and as we look to other ways here in our own community, Let's be believing God for amazing catches. Can we do that? Let's be believing God that, you know what? We're not going to be quiet anymore. We're going to be open about our faith. We're going to show people that love. We're going to serve them. We're going to go when we're called to go. We're going to give when we need to give. And if we have to, we're going to die when we need to die. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share um, what you laid in my heart. And God, just thinking about all the ways that you've given us opportunities to reach people. Lord, I just pray that we continue to get on our knees and to pray for those people. God, you do the, the work in the hearts and the minds of the people we're just your messengers. We're just those that proclaim what you've done for us, God. And let us be people who speak hope. God, and speak the love that you've given us. Let us refrain from talking negative or being enthralled in the things of this world. But God, let us keep our minds on you. And God, as we sing this last song, that we could change the world. God, you gave us that command to go out into the world. God, and to tell people about you. So let us sing this song with a new passion and a new excitement for you and for your purpose. God, let it ring in our minds and be a reminder of how to reach those that you so long to reach. I thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your gift. Amen.